Brian M. Coderna is a certified financial planner and founder of Coderna Financial Team, named as New Jersey's top 10 financial professionals of 2021 by NJ Biz. He also hosts a popular finance and business podcast, the Coderna Podcast. He's a regular contributor to CNBC, Newsmax, Yahoo Finance, AARP, and other media. His first book, Millennial Millionaire 2016, launched Coderna as a national speaker at colleges, hospitals, corporations, and financial institutions, and paved the way for his new book, What Should I Do With My Money? Economic Insights to Build Wealth Amid Chaos. And that's McGraw-Hill 2023. Brian has a Master of Science in Financial Services from the American College and a Bachelor of Science in Finance and Economics from the College of New Jersey. He enjoys staying active, having completed an international iron and marathon, practicing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and spending time with his wife and three children. Please welcome Brian M. Coderna. Welcome, everybody, to Money 911, where we really talk about critical issues. And today, well, you heard my intro for Brian, and I think this is on everybody's mind, whether they're saying it or not, the title of his book, What Should I Do With My Money, right? The in the economic insights to build wealth amid the chaos. Brian, I'm really, really happy to have you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be here. Yeah, and it's so appropriate. <laughs> yes, <know>? it is. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? And it just keeps getting more and more confused. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Really, and it's so uncertain, you know, because one minute it's this and next it, it's so much vol- volatility and I think I'd yep. probably, you know, want to start with what do you think the banking crisis will mean for sure, right? Yep. Yeah. So and I think that's a good launching point. So you know, the bank turmoil that we've experienced over the past few months, I think it's a wake up call. Really, it's uh, what happened. I mean, we had the inflation that that kind of reared its head, you know, late twenty twenty one, and then through all of last year that we're all aware of. And then that was essentially the cause of then the Fed being so aggressive with their rate hikes. And then the next cause to that is where you start to see almost the symptoms of the treatment. Okay. So you had the treatment being the Fed hiking the rates really quick to attack the disease, if you will, of inflation. And now the first symptom we're seeing or the first victim of sorts is the banking sector. And, um, you know, I think that what happened, you know, it's, it's unique in that some of these regional banks like Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic had very concentrated depositor bases. Uh, so I think that's a good thing when we look from like a macro standpoint of the whole economy, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, these big banks went under, but their customer base was very niche, you know, very into v- venture capital and the tech space. So those bank runs, it was kind of like a small party that just collapsed. And they they panicked. And you know, the reason I brought up the rate hikes is when the Fed raised rates so quickly, these banks, their balance sheets holding all of these bonds and what are considered safe instruments, when rates go up, it's like a seesaw. Then the value of all those holdings, all those bonds go down. 
And when it was essentially like a fire sale where they had to liquidate a lot of them, they sold them at the loss. And that's really what sparked, you know, the bank run. You know, it's kind of a crazy thing to be living through. Don't think that there's going to be this mass contagion through the banking sector. I think, you know, the banking sector as a whole was in pretty good shape, much, much better than 2008. But it is a wake up call. And I think it's good for the Fed to see like, okay, we've been attacking inflation and we know that there's going to be, you know, kind of an ancillary effect and collateral damage. And now we're seeing it. So I think that will give them pause, which they've hinted at that now we're going to kind of pump the brakes. And so, you know, it's unfortunate, but we knew it's almost like you knew there were going to be some casualties in this war on inflation. But hopefully now we can kind of take pause and maybe have that soft landing that we all hoped for. Right. And what do you think it means for the mortgage rates? Yeah. Yeah. So for mortgage rates, I think that's really going to be governed by kind of what the Fed's doing. And so we've seen now just over the past year, they've hiked rates, you know, 500 basis points in such a short span. That's unprecedented. We got for so long, we were used to mortgages, you know, in the threes or maybe the fours. And it, it was like, hey, this is great. And now, you know, you go up to like the sevens and it's like a lot of people, especially first time home buyers, don't even know what this is about. But I don't think we're going to stay there too, too long. You know, like we said with the banks, the Fed does have to be cautious here. So if you, you know, said, hey, what are you betting on? I think that they're going to, you know, pause their rate hikes probably for the remainder of this year. And so then hopefully we can see interest rates begin to go back down uh, maybe in 2024. You know, that might be my guess. Well, that's promising. He, as a you know, a certified financial planner, you've mm-hmm. talked to a lot of people, right? And yeah. and what do you see? You know, I have my take on it because I'm on the safe money side. But what do you see is the common mistakes that people kind of keep falling into and they make and they don't really realize it? If it was maybe one thing, Chris, if I had to kind of put my finger on, I would say it's people who get too emotional with their money in in good times and in bad. So you see it where, you know, the, the markets are going up. We had the longest bull market in history. And so all of a sudden people who are maybe more conservative by nature and, and more suited for f- fixed income annuities or things like that, they might have started to feel, you know, in, in recent years, like, man, am I missing out? Maybe I know people are making a killing in tech or in in an index fund. You know, maybe that's what I should do. And then, you know, they kind of latch onto that herd mentality. And then bam, 2022 happens. They get hurt and then they might want to go back to being conservative. And and this kind of flip-flopping is a very dangerous game. So I think that's the big thing I tell clients is like, it's okay to be conservative, it's okay to be aggressive. But you have to understand your overall financial plan and your own mentality. And then you kind of have to commit because you realize there's going to be ups and downs to both you know, sides of the coin. I, I think that that's the key thing is we want to be able to take some emotion out of it, not just kind of fall for like the latest headline or the latest fad and really be able to stick to a process. That's really a good point. I think that applies to a lot of things, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. You know, stay balanced, stay stay calm. And mm-hmm. what do you recommend clients do to to safeguard their finances and protect from all the economic downturn and things that are going on? What what's your recommendation? Sure. 
Yep. Yeah. So I have uh, a pretty much a four-step process that I use for all my clients. And, and surprisingly enough, it's the same for people who are in their 20s as it is for people who are in their 70s. And so those four steps are protection first. Okay. So that's looking at, you know, what are some of the threats to your plan? We're talking about life insurance, disability insurance, or later in life, what becomes long-term care insurance, you know, things like that, estate planning, making sure that we have kind of a good game plan with our money. The second is going to be liquidity, you know, so whether that's, you know, buying a new house, getting the kids through college or using money in retirement when we downsize all these different phases, are we staying liquid so that we don't have to hit a panic button or, or, you know, tap into our assets, you know, not on our terms, but, you know, just because we need them, even if it's in a down market. So it's protection, liquidity, debt management. And then after that, we enter growth and how we actually build money. And so I think there needs to be an order. Uh, that's my process. And I think when we have that plan, no matter what stage of the game we're at, then we can, again, take some of that emotion out and say, okay, you know, whether times are good or bad, I'll be able to kind of roll with the punches because of these four steps. That's really good. And so do you recommend, you know, they used to say six to eight months or any day money, but now after the pandemic, it's almost like maybe it's a year or two <laughs> rainy yep. money. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's a great point. So by and large, I, I tell clients, you know, six months expenses is what I like to see in, in cash. And, and that's, you know, savings, checking, money markets and the like, just very available guaranteed money in that respect. So six months expenses, that's kind of my rule of thumb, if you will. Uh, but then, you know, there's everybody's different. Every case is unique. Uh, and I usually tell people any money that we think we might need within the next two to three years, that may also go into the rainy day fund. So it might be like six months expenses. Plus, you know, we want to get a new car or we might need a down payment for something or fixing the deck. That money should go on top of our six months expenses. Yeah. So, and I really like the way that you hit all ages and I know it would be the same for thirties and seventies. I agree with that. I feel the same way about that. And, you know, in your book, Millennial Millionaire, where you, where you focused on, on younger, they, they're yep. facing a lot of challenges, right, in the economy. And what kind they of are. advice do you give them? Because a lot of people say they're just going to be serfs and renting and not really, <laughs> that's what I hear anyway, right? Not having yep. a future. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I am a millennial myself, so I'm, yeah, really? I, I, under, I understand it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going through it with the whole generation. And, uh, I think the big things, you know, that you hear about in the media are, you know, the student loan epidemic, you know, th that they're taking our generations taking longer to enter the workforce, but it kind of also in line with that. I mean, as a generation, we're taking longer to settle down, to get married, to have children. So all of these big life events, which also come with their own kind of price tag, we're kind of deferring them in sync with the delay we're having financially in maturing. Um, so I think, you know, whether that's good or bad, that's just kind of the way that we're dealing with it and whether one causes the other, uh, you know, is, is difficult to tell, but that's kind of what our generation's doing as a whole. Now in Millennial Millionaire, that was kind of like a crash course on finance. And, you know, really what I try and speak through that book is for people to either A, go to college with purpose or B, maybe not necessarily go to college, but go into the trades or something. You know, college right now is is really going through kind of a bit of an evolution 
I think there's a reevaluation on the value of college, which is a good thing. I, I think there needs to be a gut check of is it, it for everybody or what's the value of that diploma because the cost is just getting so exorbitant. So my point is to kind of understand that. And then if you go to college, you know, get your value out of it, get a, in a practical, applicable degree, and then as fast as you can get into the workforce and find yourself. And that's by kind of baptism by fire, you know, go out there, get the job, enter your career. That's the key to everything is going to be working hard and making money. And then from there, you can follow those four steps that I described. So that was millennial millionaire was a lot of that content. And then what should I do with my money? My new book kind of elaborates on all of that from an economic standpoint so that people understand the system that we live within. And when they say, you know, why should I do X, Y, or Z and dig a little deeper, now they have those answers and that conviction behind it. I totally agree with you. I think I think everything that's all being reevaluated and a lot of people are finding that they get a better job with a trade and and not being in a debt. So many people have such huge debts from yeah. the student loan. It, and then when you, yeah. that's, I wrote Millennial Millionaire, I guess I was in 2016. And that was, you know, the elephant in the room was the student loan debt, right. you know, delayed onset adulthood. And now you factor in where we're at today with, like you mentioned, mortgage rates being so high, home values going through the roof. And so it's true. You, you ask, a, you know, somebody in their 20s and it's like, how would you buy a house when you're swamped in debt and the house costs a fortune, you know, for a one or two bedroom? But, you know, things are relative. The, the wage growth has gone up. Uh, it's not uncommon to see an undergrad in finance or accounting in their first couple of years making six figures. You know, when I got out of college in 2009, that was unheard of. So, you know, everything is relative. You know, there are some tough spots, but there's also a lot of opportunity. And that's what I always want people to see is find those silver linings too. That's good. Yeah. I always look for the silver lining. No. And you're blessed. You get to be, you know, contribute on CNBC and Newsmax and, you know, you're out there and, and you get a lot of questions. What I wanted to get from you, because there's a thread that goes through all those questions. Like if you had one thing, you know, in front of millions of people or something, what, what is it that you would impart? What would you share? Yep. So that's a, that's a great question. And I'll try and boil it down as much as I can. And I think it really kicks off my book, um, which is I define wealth in like its original meaning of the word, which is a state of well-being. And so a lot of people come to me, they say, oh, you're the money guy. You're the financial advisor. Yes, I am to an extent, but money is just by itself. It, it doesn't mean anything. It's what you get out of money, what kind of peace of mind it gives you, what comfort it gives you, what it allows you to do with your life. And so I think with a, a lot of, especially young professionals, I try to start there and say, you know, let's figure out what it is you want to accomplish, what's going to make you proud and happy through your career, through your family, et cetera. And then understand money is just kind of one spoke of the wheel, but it deserves attention. You know, we're only as strong as our weakest link. So whether you like the finance conversation or not, get informed enough that you, you can have a good plan. You can understand how you're working with a good professional like a CFP. And then I think that that can give someone the conviction to kind of adhere to that plan, which is critical so that they don't get emotional and start kind of jumping all over the place. So I, I know that's kind of a roundabout answer, but it, it, it all comes back to that, that education and finding what you love to do and then piecing it together so that I feel like 
once you have a plan and a process, it frees you up to go pursue the other things you want to do. And that's that's my greatest joy is when a client comes in my office, they're just overwhelmed. They drop folders of info everywhere. Brian, I don't understand any of it. And then we piece it all together. And then they're like, oh, all right, we got this. Now I can just go back playing with my kids or whatever. And they know that there's a plan. And that's the key thing. Right. You know, that we're on the same page there too. And, you know, when I wrote a book, number one bestselling book, Ready for Pre-Tirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. But it was around yeah. having that peace of mind. Sure. I think people are reevaluating what success is. Isn't just that I have multi-millions or, the, you know, the real success. Now I'm a boomer, right? I'm in the end of the mm-hmm. boomer, so a younger boomer, but yeah, <laughs> you know, when you're like 20, it's hard to imagine what you do when you're 40 and when you're 50, each, what's it like 80, each age has its own things that need to be addressed. And, and I'm trying to wrap this around, you know, the idea of success and my idea changed as I aged. And then, you know, sure. midlife after having a successful business, I saw, oh, it was really about the give back and the connection with people that was yep. that money. And that was the thing that I was taking with me at the end of the day. I'm like, oh, that was so nice to meet Brian and talk. And it was a good feeling. It wasn't, you know, weird or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Be real. And that's my treasure. And nobody can take it from me. And no crash is going to affect it. Right? And then you're walking around with that peace. Exactly. It's a holistic kind of thing. And I I see that in you, in your personal values, and your growth. And you have a healthy lifestyle work balance don't you the way you exactly yep and, and that's what i love about um you know my career too where, where i feel so blessed is i'm an entrepreneur at the end of the right. day so yes i'm a cfp and i enjoy doing that i enjoy helping people educating people but then i have the platforms of you know my podcast and my books where i feel like there's just so so much greater reach and just kind of expands a conversation that i feel like needs to be had so yeah, it's like you get to do all these all different things, but then that's one aspect of me. The other is is you know the family and you know health and practicing jujitsu, doing Ironmans and marathons and all these different things. And that's what I try and tell my clients too. It's like it's you don't have to have a balance. You don't need to kind of do like what I do per se, but having some sort of balance, you know, of health and wealth, I think is key. And I think when you, you know, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of very successful people and it's wild how you see kind of like at the, the highest rungs of, of our social ladder, you know, these people that, that say like, oh, I'm, I'm too busy to do this. I'm too busy to go for a walk. I'm too busy to do yoga or whatever. But then when you meet these ultra high level people, it's like, how come they do it all? And and it's like, if it's important enough, you'll find the time. And, And that's what I try and tell people. That's very cool because, you know, you've, you've been nominated or recognized as one of New Jersey's top 10 professionals. So, you know, that's significant. Yeah. And, and then you've balanced all of that. So how do you daily stay motivated, right, to yeah. bring your best forth to help others? Yep. Uh, a couple of ways that I would approach that is one, I'm, I'm very much about routine. I'm, I'm very goal oriented. So, you know, I like to wake up at a certain time. I like to, you know, start my day reading. I, I need to get my exercise in that day, whether it be in the morning or right after work. You know, I try and have kind of a set schedule for the work day. 
you know, I, I like having as much kind of on autopilot in a sense as I can so that I know I'm getting done what I makes me feel good that I got that done. But then the other thing I always try and tell people too, especially when they're just kind of like in a rut or trying to find out what to do, I always say chase excitement. You know, if, if you have something in the day, like if I said, what was the best part of your day? And it was like, oh, when I was writing this letter or when I was in that meeting with two of my friends, whatever it was, you know, find that and then see how you can incorporate more and more of that into your everyday activity. And so those are things that I try and do. So whether it be a call just like this yeah. or, or sitting down to write a new article about a topic that I think is really important, you know, I always try and get that in and then that re-energizes me. So that then my other work, you know, financial planning with a client or even just answering emails, that all gets elevated too, because I had kind of that, that balance that just, you know, lifted me and gave me some more energy. Yeah, that's so true. I, I do yeah. the same thing. That it's, that's it right there. And, you know, I just want to leave everybody with, the, you know, a little cherry on the top from what should I do with my money, your book, mm -hmm. and just pull out something, you know useful for everybody that they can walk away with here. Sure, sure. So perhaps just kind of a, a tip. I know we covered some different bases here. And again, my book, what it does is it covers these nine domains of economics. And it's it's wide ranging. We're talking population, war, religion, big tech, entitlements. So all these different areas that at first don't seem totally connected, but they are very, very interconnected. And the way that I look at it is uh, through an acronym called MICE, which stands for Money, Ideology, Compromise, and Ego. And these are four motives that we all have to some extent that guide our decision-making. You'll find that all throughout the book, how I utilize that exercise, um, but just recognize that money, ideology, compromise, and ego. And even think for yourself, like, how is that playing into my everyday you know, behavior? And, uh, and also recognize that in others. And I think it gives you a kind of a really cool vantage point where it's almost like you can step outside of the debate or the conversation, watch it from this new lens, and then go back and see kind of how you're judging yourself and others through those four motives. Mm, that makes you want to read the book. Right? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we could go on and on. We'll just have to have you back because we could just... Sure. Very good. Tell everybody where and how to get your book too. Yep. So again, the book is What Should I Do With My Money? Economic Insights to Build Wealth Amid Chaos. Uh, it's available wherever books are sold in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. Um, and you can also go to briancaderna.com. Again, it's Brian with a Y. So if you go there, you'll find all my latest and greatest from my podcast, my newsletter, insights, and cool previews from the book. Feel free to check it out. All right, Brian. Well, a wealth of information, and I encourage everybody to go check the book out. I got it. I'm reading it. Really appreciate having you here. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, having me on the show. Thank you. All right. Thank you. There's so much to learn about healthy money. I hope today's discussion brings you one step closer to securing and protecting your future. So you can get started on the right foot Go to meetwithchrismeller.com and schedule your free financial fitness strategy session. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Money 911 so you don't miss our next episode, which includes health, wealth, and peace of mind.